This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. in a while, a squirrel finds a nut. What I mean by that is I, I don't pretend to be any more intelligent than the average bear. I don't pretend that I know more about anything, especially public affairs, than anybody that's listening to this program. But every once in a while, my warnings to the world are proven right. For instance, I warned that um, when the Democrats who in the U.S. Senate were opposing the nominations of George W. Bush's Supreme Court nominees, people like John Roberts and Sam Alito, not because they felt that they were unqualified, but because they didn't agree with their politics. I warned this is a huge mistake because what those people that voted against those nominees are doing is guaranteeing that in the future, when there's a Democratic president, Republicans are all going to oppose them. Sure enough, that is now the standard. That precedent that was set, and I know there was a divisive um, confirmation hearing for Clarence Thomas as well, but that was not necessarily about ideology. That was more about the sexual harassment stuff, but we'll put that aside. When that precedent was set, of just opposing Supreme Court nominees because you disagree with them, that became the new normal. When Donald Trump was impeached, when I think everybody knew that there was no likelihood that he was actually going to be removed from office, I said, and I actually remember saying the same thing similarly during the Bill Clinton impeachment, but I said with Trump especially, this guarantees that from now on, every president who has an opposing party in control of the House of Representatives is going to be impeached. Lo and behold, the Republican House of Representatives looks like they're going to go forward with an impeachment inquiry for Joe Biden, and I think it's only a matter of time before he's impeached. I think that is a mistake, but we'll put that aside. And when people were foaming at the mouth including a lot of Republican members of the House of Representatives, that we've got to expel George Santos, we've got to expel George Santos, we've got to expel George Santos. I said, whoa, there have only been five people in the history of the House of Representatives that have been expelled. Three were removed in 1861 for serving the Confederacy. The other two, one in 1980 and one in 2002, were convicted of very serious crimes. And I actually would have voted against the uh, 2002 uh, expulsion as well, but I understand why nobody except Gary Condit did. It's a story for another day. By going forward with this George Santos expulsion on Friday, 
Congress has now set up a very dangerous precedent. George Santos, look, I would not vote for George Santos. I think he is incredibly dishonest. I think he's got some weird psychological condition that forces him to make up things. He reminds me of the John Lovitz character, the liar, on uh, Saturday Night Live. He, I mean, he lies about everything. Aside from that, I mean, his voting record is not necessarily where I think I would be if I was representing that district. But that being said, he was elected to a two-year term. And as it stands now, he was not convicted of any crime. He faces 23 federal charges, including fraud, identity theft. He's pled not guilty. And even George Santos gets a presumption of innocence. Now, this is a guy that, uh, I don't know, if he wasn't in politics, might have been a used car salesman or something, or working at a carnival, or selling some sort of magic uh, cure-all, some magic elixir. But by not waiting for a conviction in this case, the House is creating a very bad situation. Usually, if you have a, a some something of a sense of shame, you resign if you're being publicly pilloried for this. Clearly, George Santos does not have any sort of a sense of shame. The seat is up for re-election or election next year. What would And he wasn't running. What would have been so terrible about letting him finish the term or waiting until there was a criminal conviction? If you hold off on expelling someone until there's a criminal conviction, that provides a clear, neutral, limiting principle, a hard and fast litmus test. All right, convicted of a serious felony? Okay, you got to go. But until there's a conviction, this man is entitled to a presumption of innocence. What is the rule now? Well, I, I exactly what I predicted has come to pass. Shortly after Santos was ousted, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman renewed his call to expel Bob Menendez, who is also under criminal indictment and who's recently pled not guilty to federal crimes. And look, it's difficult to argue with Fetterman's logic. Fetterman said, if you're going to expel Santos, how can you allow someone like Menendez to remain? Mr. Santos's lies, this is Senator Fetterman speaking, were almost funny. Menendez, I think, is really a senator for Egypt. How do you how do you not expel Menendez now? If what we're saying is if you're caught lying and you're indicted, now we're going to expel you, how do you not expel him? You have to. Uh, now we are in a brave new world where you don't have to be convicted of something. Due process matters. Due process is important, not only for the person being accused, but for everybody. If we're a society where we're either impeaching people or convicting people or expelling people or excoriating people, if we're now a society where all you have to do is be accused, this sends a message to every prosecutor in the country that all you have to do is secure an indictment and someone goes. That That's enough to get them expelled now. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move forward with a Menendez expulsion. Now, the difference between Menendez and Santos is Menendez is still 
a lot more col- uh, popular with his colleagues than uh, than Santos was. He's been working with these people for years, with the exception of Fetterman. Uh, Santos, this was his first term, so he really didn't have many relationships with these folks. I'm curious what you think. I think this is a travesty. I really do. And uh, I just texted Congressman, ex-Congressman Santos, excuse me. Um, I just texted ex-Congressman Santos and messaged him that, uh, you know, he, if he wants to come on the air either today or, or tomorrow to talk about this, we'd be happy to have him. And, you know, I'll ask challenging questions. But I think the level of precedent that this sets is just atrocious, absolutely atrocious. I'm curious what you think. 1-800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. After Friday, drawing lines of what's, you know, uh, Elaine always used to talk about wanting to find a guy that was sponge worthy. How do we know who's expel worthy now? How do we, what is the line? Is it up to the judgment of members of Congress? They're going to substitute their judgment for ours? No. We elected them, both in the case of Menendez and Santos. We should be the one that determines whether or not they take a hike or not. Not other politicians that don't want to be embarrassed because they're in the same body or in the same party as uh, Santos or Menendez. Or politicians that want to secure a political advantage uh, because you think the Republicans might have a better chance of winning in a special election than in a general election. Or uh, you want Menendez expelled because then the governor, who's a Democrat, gets to appoint a Democrat to that seat. No. you know. And by the way, especially in the case of Menendez, the guy was acquitted once before for very similar crimes. I think it's just terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, Santos lied his way into office. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of other politicians that have done that same thing. And, you know, a guy that is rapidly becoming one of my favorite members of the House of Representatives is uh, Congressman Tim Burchett. And he was one of the people that voted not to not to remove Santos. He said Friday that the expulsion of Santos from the House sets a bad president as he hasn't been convicted of anything. I completely agree. And what he said, and Santos is basically saying the same thing. He voted against ousting Santos. And he said that other lawmakers have done equally, if not worse, things. So I find it very difficult to disagree with that. Very difficult to argue with that. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Let me tell you what's coming up. How many presidents have been assassinated? Well, most of you, if you know a little bit about presidential history, most of you know that it was four. Everybody obviously knows Kennedy and Lincoln. The other two that are a little less well-known in terms of assassination are William McKinley and James Garfield. But, you know, if you know your presidential history, chances are you know it. Well, what if I told you that there is a, a theory that is gaining ground not on... QAnon forums or on the dark web somewhere, but in uh, among very serious writers and scholars that there was a fifth president who was assassinated. He, it, they didn't say it was an assassination at the time, 
But sure enough, there is evidence that a president who we thought just died in office was actually murdered. Coming up in about uh, 10 minutes, I am going to talk with Matthew Roja, who uh, has written a very interesting piece about this. And it's about a very interesting man, even if he wasn't assassinated. We'll get into it in just a bit. Next hour, you know, some of you might remember when uh, Noam Layden brought this story to our attention. There is this group of former cops that work on cold cases, and they believe they have uncovered evidence of where Jimmy Hoffa was buried or where his remains were placed. And it's a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting web that they've weaved on this one. So I'm looking forward to talking with uh, Jim Zimmerman from uh, Case Breakers next hour. We also have uh, commendations coming your way and uh, a whole lot more. 800-848-9222. My view is Santos should not have been expelled and the House of Representatives is opening a Pandora's box. They're opening a Pandora's box of expulsions. And you are going to see person after person, not convicted of anything, be proposed for expulsion going forward. You know who else has been, at least investigated, never indicted, but you know who else has been uh, accused of a crime? Matt Gates. Matt Gates was investigated for sex trafficking and other things. There are few people in the House of Representatives that are more disliked by their colleagues for different reasons than Matt Gates. I guarantee you, after this Santos precedent, they're going to try and expel Matt Gates. Uh, don't you think there's going to be a movement to try and expel uh, Lauren Boebert over her, uh, you know, antics at the Beetlejuice musical? I do. I absolutely do. And now you're going to see people that are pariahs in their own caucus, the rebels, the mavericks, on the left and the right. You are going to see these people all proposed for expulsion. I don't know if they'll all get expelled, but this is where we are because Congress has nothing better to do right now. Border's fine. Inflation's fine. Crime is fine. uh, People dying of drug overdoses is fine. And this is what we're going to focus on. 800-848-9222. Uh, whenever you need a little common sense, you got to go to Brooklyn. And who better to embody the spirit of Brooklyn than Vincent? Hello, Vincent. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Frank, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, at least when Adam Clayton Powell was ousted, he was convicted of uh, of, uh, of a crime. And this this is uh, third world. This is banana republic at time. And I agree with you. They're going to come after Matt Gates because wasn't he accused of? taking a 17-year-old girl across uh, state lines or something like right. that. I mean, there are, you go down through the annals of uh, Congress and the Senate. I mean, the, the, uh, the innuendo, the dirty dealings. But as you said it, I couldn't agree more with you. you the guy wasn't even brought to trial. I mean, uh, nothing happened. I mean, and John Fetterman is right. What about Bob Menendez? And Bob Menendez also involved his wife in the, in the, in the alleged crimes. And I agree with you. It's a bad precedent. And, and especially given the fact that they only had like a three-man or four-man 
uh, advantage in the House of Representatives? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, also, Nicole Maliotakis, I mean, she'd been wrong on so many issues. Well, I mean, you saw when you had him with this? Yeah, well, I let's put Nicole aside for a minute just because it's not necessarily related to uh, the Santos controversy. Uh, okay, I agree with but, you. Um, I agree with uh, you. And in the case of, you know, it's interesting, in the case of Adam Clayton Powell, they didn't technically expel him. They refused to seat him. And then he was elected anyway and regained the seat after a ruling by the Supreme Court. Very interesting. So Santos, and thanks for the call, Vincent, Santos could actually run for this seat in the special election. We've seen that happen before. Uh, I think uh, Jim Travigan ran for his seat after being expelled. Got 15% of the vote running from prison as an independent. I mean, one of the best showings of any independent candidate in history for Congress. 800-848-9222. BJ's in Queens. What do you think, BJ? Hey, Frank. Uh, this disaster became apparent when we saw there's no leadership in the Republican Party from this uh, Ronald McDonald lady, uh, Ronald McDaniel on down. You know, uh, they outnumber us, the Democrats outnumber us two to one in registrations. We are completely rudderless. Uh, and this guy never should have got on the ticket, but be that as it may, did no business removing him. You're 100% right. He did not get his due process. So where are we now? Where does this all leave us right. now? This leaves us without a Republican. Swazi's going to take that seat over. And uh, yeah, there all of these, these goobers. I'm sorry, these Republicans in office, these guys are goobers. Don't they get it? Don't they get they just loot the, the, the razor thin advantage we have between this and the whole speaker fan fiasco? We needed just like a hole in the head with this with this uh, this uh, garbage. Yeah. So and BJ, unless they get, go, ahead. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, I, was just, I was going to say, unless they get their act together, we can kiss the White House goodbye. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. I don't mean to put a wet blanket on it. Between this and all of the redistricting and the election uh, uh, mess that we've had, they went in with these lawsuits. They redistricted the whole thing around the country. We're, we're done unless we get this straightened out. BJ, thank you. I, I want to be very clear. You know, I, I'm an independent. I'm not a Republican. I, I voted for both independents and uh, Republicans and Democrats. Uh I would be saying the same thing if Santos were a Democrat. In fact, I am saying the same thing with Menendez being a Democrat. I, th I think it's absurd to expel him. And, you know, at what point do the voters' wishes have to be respected? So he lied. He said he ran in two elections in 2020 against Swazi, where he got 43% of the vote, and then he ran again in 2022 in a very, very closely contested race. At what point is it on? Now, some local press did say that they saw a lot of holes in his story. And in fact, I knew people that worked on his campaign that quit working for his campaign because they thought he was a little shady. So at what point do we say to the voters, you know, uh, I may not like this guy, George Santos, but his voting record is going to be closer to where I am than Robert Zimmerman's voting record. Now, I, I grant you that most people probably didn't know the full extent of his lies or the uh, allegations that were outlined in the House Ethics Committee report, including using campaign funds to play for uh, luxury clothing and things of that nature. But unfortunately, uh, members of Congress and candidates for Congress have done that before. And it's always been in that gray area about whether that's a legitimate campaign expense. I think if you asked a lot of the people that voted for Santos, 
a lot of them would say, I mean, look, you know, whenever you're talking about 145,000 people, they have varying views. But a lot of them would say, yeah, you give me the choice of him or Robert Zimmerman again, and I would have voted for him again, even knowing what we know now. I'm not saying that that's right, but I think that for the politicians to substitute their judgment for the voters, it's terrible. It's terrible when it comes to impeachment. It's terrible when it comes to expulsion. There's got to be a hard and fast line. I think the line of felony criminal conviction is an appropriate one. I really do. Uh, somebody just sent me an SMS text message, which you could do as well, at 816-8-MORANO. That eight, that's 816-8-M-O-R-A-N-O. He says, uh, would Santos have a legal case to remain, considering that the Constitution puts the power among the people, not Congress, to remove him? They don't have to seat him, but his actual job should be secure. Uh, no. Uh, the the courts have upheld, for better or worse, that legislative bodies can control their membership, and they do have the right to expel, which is part of the reason that they've usually been, throughout the history of the country, pretty reluctant to use it. And they've never used it for someone that has not been convicted of something, except for the three people that went and served in the Confederate uh, Congress. Which, I mean, I get the Confederate issue. These are people that are literally rebelling against the United States. Makes sense to expel them. Felony conviction, okay. It's a red line that you, you get convicted by a jury of your peers, you're out. But a damning report by the House Ethics Committee, and you know what's not going to see the light of day now? George Santos was proposing that Jamal Bowman be expelled from Congress. Well, that's not going to be, that's not going to see the light of day now. It's not right. Not right. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Jerry is in New Jersey. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, my whole take on this Santos thing is behind the scenes, the most important thing the Democrats are trying to do in the Rhino Republicans is undermine the idea that Trump can run for president because he, like Santos, has a lot of charges against him. And Santos wasn't convicted. Trump will probably get convicted of some nonsense thing on one of these uh, courts because he has to beat four juries. And they know that and this is ridiculous. But let's say he gets convicted. How can you they're putting the moral? It's not a legal issue, but they're putting a nice moral code out there. And they're saying, look, you can't run because you can't become a president because we don't even let a congressman who has a record who wasn't even convicted. We take him out of office. So who are you to run? So it's a great public relations boom for Democrats and the rhinos. Well, Jerry, I think um, it's a little bit different with the presidency because uh, they've found that even if you're convicted of a felony, you can still run for president. Uh, both uh, not, both Eugene v. De- v. Eugene v. Debs in 1912, he actually ran for president from prison, and Lyndon LaRouche, uh, after uh, being convicted of mail fraud, he ran for president multiple times uh, after that. So they, they've I'm actually... Not about legal. Right. I said morally, morally. Well, and so then how would you, how would you, uh, who would be the entity that doesn't let him run then? No, it's not that they wouldn't. Oh, what it would be is they would be saying that it's right. Well, who's the Trump they? To, I'm trying to get it. Who's the they? The Democrats and the press. The press and the Democrats will say it is, they're already saying it. It's correct that he can't be on ballots 
in states because he's a convict, because he's been convicted. Right. And they'll say, look, George, they're going to well, say, look, well, no, they're, they're saying it's a violation of uh, a clause of the 14th Amendment. So far, they've been unsuccessful in that. But I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think they'll definitely still try that. But so far in every state, they have not been successful in, in that one. 800-848-9222. Let me squeeze in one more here uh, before we get to uh, Matthew Roja to talk about a fifth president who may have been assassinated. Chris in the Catskills. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, my congressman, Mark Molinaro, voted to have him expelled, as did, I believe, your congresswoman, uh, Molly right. M- most of the Most of them did, yes. So I think there's an element going on here, and, and I heard you speak about it before, uh, with that, with the Republicans taking part in this expulsion, the New York State party bosses in that part of the state, uh, Nassau County and Queens, can they can select who the uh, replacement candidate who's likely going to go up against Swati in the special election is that correct correct that's right it's a because okay. of the the way the district falls it basically just comes down to the nassau county republican party but if they had waited a little longer for the courts to play out six or nine months from now and then that wouldn't have been the case the, then the people would have decided right. and they probably would felt that the people made a mistake already with um, Santos, you know, the funny thing is, in my neck of the woods, Santos wouldn't have made it through the press. But, um, you know, down in in southern New York state, people can earn uh, a better salary in general. And I think it makes it actually harder to find quality candidates because people in Congress really don't make that much money relative to how much. Yeah, work well, involved, that's a fair point. In raising money. That's a fair point, Chris. I got to end it there uh, because we have uh, Matthew Roja waiting in the wings. We're going to talk a little bit about Zachary Taylor straight ahead. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
That's right, over the weekend, it was the 42nd birthday of Britney Jean Spears. Obviously, just because we were not on the air over the weekend, we were not about to allow the occasion of Britney Spears' birthday to go unnoticed. Well, it was also recently the birthday of Zachary Taylor. Now, Zachary Taylor, because of the short duration of his presidency and the I don't know. The the fact that there weren't that many consequential instances that took place, he's not a president that comes up very often. He absolutely was a w- an incredibly popular war hero. He was a general and a national hero for his victories in the Mexican-American War. As a result, one of the major parties at the time, the Whig Party, they came to General Taylor and they came courting him, said, please run for president, run for president. And he reluctantly, because he didn't have much of an interest in politics up until that point, he reluctantly agreed. And then in less than a year, he dies. Now, history records that there were four presidents assassinated, Garfield, Lincoln, McKinley, and Kennedy. What if? Zachary Taylor was the fifth. Someone that makes a uh, pretty compelling case that that was the case is Matthew Roja. He is a world-class writer who's written for a number of award-winning publications. He is currently writing with Salon. Matthew, thanks for staying up late or getting up early with us. Thank you for having me. Um, I enjoyed listening to the Britney Spears segment. (laughs) Wonderful. wonderful. Uh, Matthew, uh, before we get into Zachary Taylor's death, give folks a little bit of a primer, a little bit of a reminder as to who Zachary Taylor was. Zachary Taylor was an old-fashioned frontier soldier. He spent the vast majority of his life in the military, but specifically as a soldier who was in the old Southwest, who uh, helped, you know, take Louisiana and tame Louisiana. And then during the Mexican-American War was responsible for some of the most important military victories. Before the 1848 election, which is the election when he ran himself, he had never even voted, much less run for office. He, that was the, the first vote he ever cast in an election was the uh, vote that he cast for himself in 1848. Uh, At that point, he was 64 years old. And so he was a very apolitical person. Um, But as president, the main issue that wound up dominating conversation was what should America do with the territories that we had won from Mexico in terms of allowing slavery to spread. And Taylor is a fascinating figure because he personally was a slave owner. But to everyone's surprise, he wound up siding with the North and arguing that slavery should not be spread into the newly acquired territories. He Mm. actually believed that it should be left only in the states which already had it. This was a very unpopular position. And this leads into how he the subject of his death. Um, Many Southerners felt betrayed by him. Many Southerners were saying, we're going to secede. We're going to start a civil war. How dare you not side with us? Um, His vice president, Millard Fillmore, by contrast, actually did side with them. Uh, And then right when all this was happening, Taylor mysteriously dropped dead of food poisoning. 
So the, the official story goes that on July 4th, 1850, President Taylor consumed a whole lot of cherries and iced milk while attending holiday celebrations during a fundraising event at the Washington Monument, which at the time was under construction. Over the next few days, he became incredibly ill with this unknown digestive ailment as initially resembling acute gastroenteritis. The illness initially seemed mild, and on the first day, Taylor felt well enough to continue working. His condition worsened thereafter, and by July 9th, he was dead. Why do you or why do people doubt that official story? Uh, Two reasons. Uh, The first is just the awful convenience of it. I mean, Taylor was, again, a lifelong soldier. He was in perfectly fine health. Um, the fact that he had just recently essentially delivered an ultimatum to the South, his position was that the South had no right to secede. Like I said, he was a lifelong military man. He was all about loyalty to the Union. And the fact that he had just delivered an ultimatum that I will use the military to invade the South and hold you in the Union against your will. And they were saying, if you do that, there will be a civil war. And people were worried there'd be a civil war. And then he dies. It's a little convenient. But but the fact that that was convenient is not in itself what's compelling. What's also compelling are the details of his illness, because many of the symptoms that he displayed now are, are consistent with arsenic poisoning. Now, At the time, he was diagnosed with what they called cholera morbus, but cholera morbus was a term that was just a kind of a catch-all for any number of stomach ailments. It was sort of their way of saying, we know there's something wrong with this part of his body, but we're not exactly sure what it is. But many of the symptoms he displayed were consistent with arsenic poisoning. And in 1991, they actually, uh, the state of Kentucky and the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, where uh, both uh, exhumed Taylor's remains and used a technique known as neutron activation analysis to test his hair particles for arsenic. Um, and what they found is that, his, that the hair contained two parts per million of arsenic, uh, which is in itself considered not to be too much to indicate acute poisoning, But there are criticisms of how the body was exhumed because specifically the hair as it was studied, they studied the entire hair instead of merely the portion closest to the root. So there are still questions about whether the people who exhumed his remains for this purpose tested for the arsenic in the most rigorous way. I see. Were there immediate suspicions about his possibly being assassinated or is this something that has emerged more recently? There were people who suspected it at the time, but the thing about Taylor, and I'm glad that you listed the other presidents who'd been assassinated, they were all assassinated before Taylor's presidency. America had never had, at that point, an assassinated president. What do you mean after, after Taylor's presidency? Yeah, they were. you're right, right. thank you for yeah. after Taylor's presidency. My point is that when he died, we'd never had an assassinated president, so people didn't even really know how to process that as a possibility. Lincoln was the first president that we know for sure was assassinated. Um, so, well, that's interesting. Uh, that that it, it certainly is. By the way, if people want to read uh, Matthew's article about this, I just linked to it on my Facebook page. You can check it out. 
Facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's Facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. All right, so we have uh, circumstantial evidence that's consistent with arsenic poisoning, and we have at least some evidence that was in that there was an arsenic in that hair sample, even though there may have been problems with how that hair sample test was done. Um, who do people think was responsible for this? The general theory would be that it would have been people in the South who felt betrayed by Taylor. Um, because, and I can't stress this enough, I think for me what I find so fascinating, and it's an enigma that really no one has ever been able to crack, why was Taylor, a man who owned slaves, sympathetic to the anti-slavery movement? To this day, nobody really knows, but we do know that Taylor's fellow Southerners were very, very angry. So if anyone had a motive to assassinate him, both on the grounds that they felt betrayed and because they might have thought they were averting a civil war, it would have been the South. Now, the other question, of course, that historians wonder is if Taylor had not died and a civil war had broken out during his presidency, would the Union still have won? Um, Would slavery have still been abolished? Because just because Taylor supported not extending slavery doesn't mean he was an abolitionist. Mm. The man owned slaves himself. He was a plantation owner. So it's just a fascinating question because history would have been very, very different if Taylor had lived. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, So, I mean, there's always a lot of debate about whether or not the Kennedy assassination was the result of a conspiracy. We know that the Lincoln assassination was the result of a conspiracy. It would have had to have been uh, some sort of a conspiracy to take out Zachary Taylor if he was murdered, right? Oh, absolutely. It would have had to have been a conspiracy. Um, and Not the one only- lone disgruntled Southern chef in the White House mess. No, I mean, it would have been somebody who poisoned him during that Fourth of July ceremony. I'm actually looking at a biography of Taylor by Hamilton Holman, and what he describes is that... Um, that during the Independence Day ceremony, he would have munched green apples uh, immediately after a Sunday school recital. Then he spent two hours under the hot sun at the base of the Washington Monument where people were orating and anyone could have come up to him and introduced themselves to him. In those days, the president did not have bodyguards, did not have a secret service. The idea was that any ordinary citizen should be able to walk up to the president, shake his hand and have a conversation. And in some ways, it's very innocent and quaint, but there are obvious security problems with that arrangement. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, And just to kind of complete the circle, if the goal was to get a president that was more friendly to the issues that were important to slave owners at the time, Millard Fillmore, obviously a New Yorker, you don't necessarily consider people from New York as the tip of the spear on slavery slavery related issues what did fillmore do as president with respect to slavery he supported the compromise of 1850 that was the big thing is that um the congressional leaders like henry clay like daniel webster were pushing for a great compromise that they felt would resolve the issues of slavery in a way that would prevent civil war. And that included um, allowing California to enter the union as a free slate, but at the same time, as a free state, but at the same time, banning slavery, um, banning the slave state from, banning the slave trade from Washington, D.C., but at the same time, also strengthening the fugitive slave laws, 
um, uh, uh, providing the South with much of what it wanted in terms of legislature to protect slavery where it existed. It was essentially a deal that they thought would please both sides and avoid a civil war. Taylor opposed the Compromise of 1850 because his flat-out position was that the South was wrong and that he did not think that slavery could survive in the areas where it didn't already exist. He thought that it was perfectly okay for states in the South to ban slavery. And so you're right. I'm glad you pointed it out that Fillmore was from New York, so you wouldn't think that he would be the guy that the pro-slavery people were looking to for salvation. But he was the one who was sympathetic to their position, and Taylor, who was from Louisiana, was not. Very, very interesting. Now, is this one of those things where if someone made a concerted effort to reopen this case and investigate this, that we could ultimately find out the truth? Or is this one of those things where in all likelihood we'll never know the truth? The only way we could possibly know the truth, we could or we could potentially confirm in the future uh, whether it was arsenic poisoning. You would need to re-exhume Taylor. You'd need to perform a more rigorous uh, look at the hair samples. You'd have to make sure that you only studied the roots so that way you're not, incident, you're not accidentally diluting the sample. But even if it turned out that he didn't die of arsenic poisoning, there are still other forms of poisoning that can occur. One of the things I wrote in my article at the end uh, is that... Um, it's impossible to know these things, and barring future tests on Taylor's hair roots, it is also impossible to know for sure whether he was poisoned. Historians tend to prefer stories with neat and tidy endings, right. and it is, it's troubling to believe that history could have been changed through murder without anyone knowing for sure. But the truth is, that might be where we are, because even if it turns out he wasn't poisoned with arsenic, there are plenty of other poisons that could have been used, and they would no longer be detectable 170 years later. Yeah, talking with uh, Matthew Matthew Rosia. So who, let's say we did, as a society, want to get to the bottom of this and determine whether it was arsenic poisoning, who would have to make that decision? Would it be Taylor's descendants, if there are any? Would it be the, uh, you know, the, the federal government? Who would make the decision to exhume the body and do these sort of tests? Well, in 1991, I'm going to double check this, but I believe that his family had, yes, his closest relatives had agreed to the exhumation. So his family would have to agree to it. Um, the, I personally think that it would be worth investigating. I think people deserve to know the truth. Um, I think it would be interesting in particular to raise questions about the counterfactual in history. What If America had had Taylor instead of Lincoln as president during the Civil War, how would everything have played out differently? But to answer your question, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, but to answer your question, I think that, yes, it would have to be his family that would consent to it. Yeah. And so you also anticipated my next question, which is sometimes I'll talk about the Kennedy assassination and people will call in and say, what does it matter? He's dead. It was 60 years ago. And, you know, on the one hand, I can understand that. Your answer to why this matters, that uh, a president may have been murdered, that it was not recorded as murdered, is that the whole course of American history could have been different. Oh, yes. And by the way, I would say the same thing about John Kennedy. I mean, imagine if Lyndon Johnson hadn't been president to try to shepherd through the civil rights legislation of the 60s. 
Right. And I mean, uh, a lot of people have uh, alternative theories about how Vietnam would have went uh, as well. But that's certainly uh, another another can of worms. Well, Matthew, uh, it is an absolutely fascinating story. It's not something I would have known anything about but for you. And uh, thank you for coming on the radio. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. You don't have any th- theories about William Henry Harrison being murdered, do you? No, I think he just should have worn a coat. <laughs> okay. All right. If you develop uh, an alternative view on that, be sure to let us know, okay? I will. Thank you. Matthew Roja, you can check out the piece. I just linked to it on uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Moranofan. He writes for Salon. You can also find it on there. Uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. If you want to uh, comment, you're certainly welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at midnight with Frank Morano. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas, uh, as sung there by the great Leanne Rhymes. I like her. I think she's a great singer. And also uh, is a fellow traveler in terms of having psoriasis. She's been very open about her battle with uh, psoriasis and very active in the uh, psoriatic community. Uh, A terrific singer, though, irrespective of her autoimmune diseases. I'm going to get to your calls in a moment. Three open lines if you want to comment on anything we've covered. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I was, uh, Friday night, I uh, did attend my member of Congress's birthday party, Nicole Maliotakis. Nicole and I are friends for uh, many, many years. I mean, more than a quarter century. And I always go to this event uh, every year. It's a nice event. Although usually she asks me to MC this year, this year I don't know. I might have fallen out of favor because she didn't ask me to MC. It's just as well because there was, uh, you know, there was that means there was no incentive for me to stay sober. So I took advantage of that. It wasn't quite an open bar, but it was, you know, it was wine and and beer and a couple of select cocktails. But it was fun. I got to meet a lot of folks that um, listen to this show regularly. I want to give a special shout-out to Maureen McFeely, whose daughter actually sent me a letter one time that I believe I read on the air, which was very well written, and whose husband, Bob, I know uh, for a long time. And uh, Maureen says she listens every day and falls asleep with me. Her husband, Bob, said he listens to music to fall asleep. And she's because Bob says, you know, you'll say something, you'll mention somebody I know or have an opinion that I want to react to. And all of a sudden I'm wide awake. Maureen will say, well, you know, I want to sing along to music. You I don't sing along to. I I just let you lull me to sleep, which 
I'm flattered to be with both of them in their bedroom. However, I get there. I appreciate that. She mentioned that uh, that I was cranky the other night. And she said, you know, I don't mind you being cranky, but I'm trying to fall asleep here. It's tougher for me to fall asleep when you're yelling at people. All right, so be it. 800-848-9222. But uh, it was nice to meet you, Maureen McFeely, and everybody else that I met, uh, including a, a dentist whose son works for Nicole. His uh, dad is apparently a big listener, listens every night. So uh, shout out to everybody there. Robert is in Manhattan. What's on your mind, Robert? Good morning, Frank. That was a fascinating interview. Thank you. Three, three quick points about General Taylor. Number one, one of the reasons that many of us know a great deal about him is because if you look on YouTube, look for a song simply called General Taylor. It is a very popular sea shanty among shanty singers. There are many, many versions of it. Number two, during the Mexican-American War, there was a great deal of controversy about the activities of the American soldiers, especially in Mexico, more particularly the Texan uh, volunteers, what they call the Diablos Tejanos. And many of them committed unspeakable crimes in Monterey, uh, in Mexico City, they violated nuns. I mean, you can read it. It's, it's open. It's a fact. And the third thing was, I don't know if you're familiar. Have you ever heard of a group of about 300 Irish Americans known as the St. Patrick's Battalion? These were men who jumped ship. They were very angry about the treatment of Irish Americans, both in and out of the military. So one Sunday morning, they jumped ship. They crossed the Rio Grande uh, and they joined the Mexican army. And they fought at places like Chutabusco, Monterey, Cerro Gorda, uh, Chapultepec. Right. They knew that if they were captured, they would either be branded physically, which many of them were, or they would be executed. And General Taylor was once asked, what should be done with these Irish Americans? He said, they should be disemboweled and their bodies Ooh. thrown into a fire. Wow. I'm, not, I'm just telling you, look up St. Patrick's. I will. Battalion. It is a fa- you know, in Mexico today... There are hospitals, orphanages, uh, uh, plazas, schools, because today in Mexico, the San San Patricios, as they're called, are still heroes. Robert, i got to run. Thank you. Um, Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you after the top of the hour. And that's not the only mystery we're solving today. Where was Jimmy Hoffa buried? We have a former cop that has done an incredible investigation on this. We'll tell you about it. Uh, Four open lines if you want to comment, 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population, get your dog or cats paid or neutered.